I don't know what I'm about to say because it's unrehearsed, unplanned. But I know that there is a prophetic spirit upon me right now. And uh, I just couldn't wait any longer to uh, bring this word. And I, be honest with you, that's right, Joseph, come on down. I'll be honest with you, I don't know where it's going to take us. I have a inspiration. I'm delving into a prophetic book of the Bible that I probably have never preached from. I've taught, but never preached from. And it's one, not one of those things that I've spent much time in, but I felt the Lord leading me there, and I want to share with you what I believe the Lord has said. George, you are now fine. Daniel, you are now fine. Just leave everything alone and just come on up here. If the, if the system goes bad, the system goes bad. We'll do it the old-fashioned way by screaming and shouting. Amen. Joseph, come on up here so I can see your beautiful face or handsome face. Before I do get started, however, I do want to send uh, my wife's deepest regrets. Uh, she was up all night just uh, regurgitating and having other issues. And she, uh, she's she been having some issues that have bothered her for some time now. And we thought that we had gotten a hand on it uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks. But instead, uh, she seems to need more attention. So tomorrow I will be taking care of that. But I just insisted she would have crawled out of bed and come in and I said sweetheart if you go to church looking the way you're looking right now you're going to scare them to death and uh, but she 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 is grievously wounded in that she is disappointing you because of the festivities that you had I said honey I said if they love if they love you they'll understand and they matter of fact if they love you they want you to stay home more than you want to come here. So, uh, uh, and it just so happens that Susan isn't feeling well, and I just thought, well, you know what? I need Susan to take care of Mother today. Come on right up here at the front. Take the front row. Oh, honored woman of God. Now, just don't start preaching, okay? I mean, that, that's... Well, you know what? You can. <clears throat> and so... Uh, I just need for you to be aware and of the need of prayer. Yes. So I've extended, make sure you send a little card to her or a little token telling her that you are so glad that she didn't come today. I see everything all laid out, so, you know, and I'm thinking, well, well that's okay. Well, I'm here. <laughs> no, no uh, Pastor Gideon suggested that we continued with me. No, 
No, no, no, no, no, no, no, no, no. Without my wife, I am absolutely nothing. You know, that, that's, uh, God has joined us together, and I'm not going to in any way take away any of the expressions of gratitude and thanksgiving. Although, you know what? The best way you can show appreciation to me, and I know that this is what has been on your mind, that you, Mrs. Bishop or pastor or whatever, appreciation dinner, you really want to show appreciation for me? Two things. Go out there and tell somebody about coming here. Amen. Get on Facebook. Do everything you can. Second thing, when you do get here, focus on worshiping the Lord. That's right. Yeah. Focus on worshiping the Lord. Young people, old people. That's not you, it's me. Okay. <laughs> when you do that, you show true appreciation for what this ministry has laid down. Father, I just come before you right now. I lay hands on this man. In the name of Jesus, I command, I curse whatever sickness yes. is within his yes. body, this coughing and all of this here. I just now, in Jesus' name, just bring to rebuke. Yes. Lord, in Jesus. And sometimes we give us give ourselves too much too much importance or value. Now you're the humblest man that I know of, but there's an area of pride that you need to deal with. And I'm going to speak. And that's right. I'm going to speak in front of all the people. And the pride is that you're indispensable to us. I, it's your spirit of giving that allows you to feel that. But you're going to say something this morning. I believe I'm going to be preaching at you. Okay. <laughs> you like me bringing you correction in front of the whole congregation, isn't it? <laughs> isn't this fun? But I just want the congregation to know the sacrifice and service that you do when you feel well, you don't feel well. I think I can count on two fingers how many times you ever missed service because you were sick. I know that today is a perfect example. But son, if this ministry is dependent on you, financially, spiritually, work-wise, then we're in big trouble. You take the responsibility and the burden so seriously. And you're so committed. You're such a man of character. Man of integrity, a man of loyalty. Just relax. In Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, Zechariah, there was a prophecy that the prophet had, and he saw a candlestick. I think it was two of them. And there they were, beautiful candlesticks. But attached to them was a hose from an olive tree. And Zerubbabel, or Zach, Zachariah, Zach, 
looked at that and said, he asked the angel, Lord, what does that mean? And the angel said to him that that candlestick never needs external uh, fuel to spread its light. It has a steady, continuous, perpetual stream coming from the source. In other words, God's grace will never run dry. God's grace will never run dry. That which brings energy and light illumination to our surroundings is not incumbent upon us having to fill it up all the time. attach yourself to the temporal hook up to the eternal Father I just ask you for an anointing this morning to speak your Word, first of all, with clarity, surrounded, immersed in truth, and then, Lord, with an anointing, so that this word does its intended purpose, and that is to divide soul from spirit and piercing us not just into our hearts but into very marrow of our bones. Let the word of the Lord that is proclaimed from this sacred desk this morning be a word that is truly your word to us. We sit and listen to the admonition of the Spirit. Give us grace to speak and a double portion of grace to hear. This I ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. On Wednesday night, <clears throat> I have a glass of water here. Just give me one that's already got water in it. Thank you, sir. We had probably, in my estimation, in the nearly 40 years that we've had Bible study classes, I can't recall a class that was more intense and more saturated by the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, it was <clears throat> a whole different level, a different dimension. Um, it was just profound. And God was speaking to us. I, I wish I could tell you what it was that was said during the whole thing, I don't know. I do think that we uh, do know that we have a copy of that. And if you would like to have a copy of that Wednesday night teaching, I mean, that's fine and fabulous. Just see uh, 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 Victoria, and she'll tell you how you can get a copy. I think she puts it on, so you get it on your telephone. Is that right? Yeah. You can get it on your telephone. We're, we're high tech here now. 
Uh, you don't have to wait for a CD or anything. Just you know, hook up to the telephone. She'll tell you. It's going to be just raw. <clears throat> but it uh, unedited. So if I said something wrong, just forgive me, okay? I mean, forgive me twice. <laughs> but uh, uh, they are available. And then Thursday at our seminary class, um, these young kids, <laughs> including Pastor Marianne and Pastor Gideon, I mean, just pulled it out of me on, on Thursday. And I was speaking on worship. And I drew a diagram and when they came in I gave them a quiz with the diagram and the diagram was a rectangular box and then I put a line through the middle of that diagram, bold line and then the bottom portion of that diagram I put another line halfway between the middle line and the bottom so you had one half and one quarter and one quarter and I said to them this is the symbol of worship. And they looked at me. I said, well, you know what? We know you're getting old, but this is just a little bit too much. How can this represent the symbol of worship? Some of you old timers might remember a thousand years ago when I preached a sermon declaring that God lives in a three-room And so I gave them an assignment during class to identify the various areas and what uh, furnishings, what sacred furnishings were in it, each area. And then the Spirit of the Lord took over. And this may sound like I'm boasting, but believe me, I'm not. I mean, I'm more surprised than anything else. And I'm saying this for the glory of God. But as I'm listening to myself, because I have not visited that in 10 years, and I'm listening to myself as the word was coming out, I'm saying, I'm saying to myself, wow, this is good. You better write it down. Don't forget it. I mean, that, that, was, a, that was a type of anointing that was on me. And I found, and I think you also have seen and felt that there is a new anointing that has settled down on this house. There is, it seems like, an awakening, a getting back to who we really are. It's like, you know, we've had a malady and, or disease or been confined for a long period of time and we've been in hospital rooms and, you know, we're just barely getting by and people saying, well, maybe you'll live, maybe you won't. And then one day, you know, you start feeling good and now you feel like, they're just like me. A year ago, December. Yes. I'm laying there telling, they're telling me I got... Two weeks to two months to live. And I, I had Gary, Pastor Gideon, call the doctor uh, last week. And, you know, because usually I call them because I have a situation, a problem. I told Gary, please call them and tell them how good I feel. 
I feel great. And I think that's the cycle that the church is going through. We've come out of intensive care. The danger zone is gone. We're not on our last legs. Come on. As a renewal within us. And I believe it has a lot to do with the young folks. You young people there on that second row, look at me real carefully. Ain't that little girl back there? Look at me. I believe that the move of... Look at me. Look at me. I believe that the move of God is incumbent upon you. We're here to give you guidance, direction. But if the sacred articles of the Lord are to be built... The underlay of the golden altars is wood, acacia wood. Acacia wood is known to be the hardest wood in the world. And it is the only wood that is worthy to undergird the glory of God. The only wood that can have the covering of gold so that the purposes of God could be manifested in his temple. Hallelujah. But that acacia wood, it's strong. It's, it's insect. There's no, insects can't, there's no termite ever created that can burrow into acacia wood. It's impervious to the weather. It lasts and lasts and lasts. It's almost perpetual. valued wood but you know that wood isn't left in its own state if you ever see an acacia tree out in the the wilderness you probably you won't see it here in the United States you'd have to see it in in uh, the Middle East but when you see acacia farms you see strong straight trees and you marvel at them they got big bush on top of them plenty of shelter for the fowls of the air to come and find refuge they're straight and strong they have to have a special instrument in order to cut it and plane it it's that tough so you look at it and say wow that's a beautiful acacia but left to itself If you see an acacia tree out in the wilderness, you know what you see? Some snarly, twisted, bent up kind of trunk that there's hardly a meter or two that is straight with it. Just all curled up. So now you think, well, how does that tree become the tree that we saw at the acacia farms? Well, you see, The farmers know the tendency of the tree. There's tremendous worth and value in it, but left to its own. It's not even good for firewood. So what the farmer does, when a new tree begins to sprout, he plants around it guards, stakes. He 
puts them in the ground. And these stakes now act as a boundary, as a resistance for the wildness of the acacia tree. And as the acacia tree grows and it tries to go out this way, as a resistance and it can't. And it determines it's gonna go this way and there's a resistance and it can't. And I wonder if the acacia tree had a mind of its own, if it would be resisting this thing and resenting the guards that have been placed around it. Oh, if we can only communicate and say, Acacia, you are the most valuable wood and you're going to be used for God's purposes. But we can't leave you unto yourself because there's a nature within you that is wild, undisciplined, unstructured. So out of love for you, so that you might fulfill your purposes. We gotta put stakes. We gotta, as much as you resent it, resist it, yell about it, threaten us, we're resolved. We're gonna cause you to grow the way you're supposed to grow so that someday you could be filled or covered with gold. Is that an analogy of our youth today? No kid is a bad kid. They're all good. But there are tendencies within us created out of our Adamic nature that push us this way, push us that way, and push us every way but straight. And while the knurling, the curling may seem decorative, and, 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 and individual. There's no two acacia trees in the wilderness that are identical, each seeking its own identity, thinking this is who I am. And then when it matures, it realizes it has no value. A young person is born with the call of God in their lives, and I don't care where they are. I believe that at the moment of conception, the Spirit of the Lord comes in and speaks to your soul. But when you begin to, when you sprout, the wild nature, the Adamic nature, tries to go its own way. And the guards, the parents, teachers, the church, 
They put stakes around you. And you resist it and fight against it. Maybe during your sprouting years, you feel as if I can't be who I want to be. But the fact is, so many times when you're young in life, you don't even know who you were called to be. Listen to me. Don't resist the guarding. Don't condemn the defining boundaries. Be mature in your youth. As so many of the young people in the book of Proverbs were. And bless the eldership and the authorities for restraining you in times when that wildness wants to take over. Amen. And to you, the non-young, the young in heart, those that are chronologically not as young as we used to be. Remember your responsibilities. If you love those whom God has given you care over, put in those stakes. Now, in the formative years, not when it's already grown up. That's what we minister in this church. Not discipline just for discipline's sake, but guards to help us all to grow to the potential and purpose that we are born to. Amen. Well, that was just a sermon to the young people, okay? Now can I... So on Wednesday night, a couple of inspirations came to us, and I believe they were, well... They didn't sound like the words of the Lord. Yay, my son, my daughter. They just sound like normal conversation. But one of the things that was spoken that had an impact on all of us there was when God said, it's time to possess the land. Been out there for 40 years. I've promised you Canaan. I've promised you abundance. I've promised you fruit that is so big that it's going to take two men to carry a clump of grapes. I've promised you. But you've wandered in the wilderness. Not because I had given up on you, 
but because I've been preparing you. And a new generation came up. There was a few of the elders bringing guidance and wisdom. But a new generation. And God announced, it's time to possess the land. And when they came to the point of resistance that they had in their formative years, Suddenly, Kadesh Barnier no longer was an obstacle. They marched through, came to the sea of improbability or impossibility, and God said, watch what I'm about to do. I've promised you abundance. I've promised you prosperity. I promised you to make you the greatest kingdom in the world. And now you come to your impossibilities. Look what I'm about to do. Stick out your staff. You remember the staff, the symbolism of the staff? The staff that was placed inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron's rod that budded. It was the symbol of divine authority. Divine authority. Stick it out in front of you and watch the impossible move aside at your command. Don't try it in your own strength. Don't find your own implements to try to fulfill the will and the purposes of God. Zechariah said it. Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And I've called you to finish the tabernacle. The tabernacle at this time, just before the 400 silent years, towards the end of Israel's recorded history, was in total disarray. The Israelites were released from captivity in Babylon, came to their home site, the land that was salted by the enemy went back and recultured it built a wall and started the tabernacle, the temple Zerubbabel's temple which ultimately would become Herod's temple which was the temple that Jesus spent so much time in It was a temple that was prophesied to be a greater and more glorious temple than the temple of Solomon. For the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the glory of the former house. 
And Zerubbabel came to this land along with his co-prophet Haggai. The land was in disarray. The government was corrupt. The people were not only not worshiping God, they weren't even concerned. The temple that they were supposed to build that was supposed to be the most glorious of all edifices was in disrepair and ruin. Construction sites vacated, empty. Nobody there to do the work. And this word of the Lord to Zechariah, he was committed, commissioned by God, go catch a Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the leader of Israel at that time. He was the one who was in charge of the construction of the temple. And imagine how Zerubbabel must have felt. A good man, a godly man, charged with building the temple and looking out over his circumstances and situation and seeing hopelessness. I've tried. I've sent out messages. Please come and help. How much are you going to pay me? <clears throat> this is a work for the Lord. Well, I, I got to take care of my own stuff. And the children, the nation of Israel, instead of focusing on building the temple, began to focus on building their own houses. Now I'm sure it's, Zechariah heard Haggai when he said, and the Lord would say this against you. You live in paneled homes. But my house is in disarray. Therefore, there will be holes in your purses. And there will be want. And your barns will be empty. You think they're full, but they will be empty. Zechariah goes to Zerubbabel and Zerubbabel says you got to build the temple of the Lord we're in trouble and I could I, 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 I could almost imagine the conversation as if I was there myself and the prophet coming and saying we've got to build the house of the Lord and Zerubbabel saying I've been trying, but I get no cooperation. I don't have the money. I don't have the material. I don't have the skilled work. They're all out there. And I, 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 I don't know about you, but I can hear the despair, the frustration. And the voice of Zerubbabel as he's saying, what more can I do? Those who were working on the temple are those who came with us out of Babylon. They're old. They're weak. And their lives have been focused on this and they don't have the money or the energy. And I'm sure that 
after Zerubbabel just made this lost confession to Zechariah that he thought, well, you know what? I'll hang on as long as I can. I'll do my part. But it's inevitable. Everything is against us. And that's when Zechariah was shaken by a bolt of spiritual energy. If he had been sitting, I'm sure he must have suddenly stood up. And his eyes, which were dimmed and maybe crusted with some tears, listening to the sobs and the sad story as a ribble, I'm sure that his eyes all of a sudden became beacons of light. And their brightness burned into the very soul of Zerubbabel when he said, let me tell you how God is going to accomplish his purpose. Zerubbabel, it's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by my word, saith the Lord. And that was the moment, the defining moment of the Israel to which Jesus would come. Not by might, not by power. On Wednesday night, the Lord gave us a word. And the word was this. Don't let the secular overtake the spiritual. Don't let the natural diminish the supernatural. Like Zerubbabel of old, we are here in a situation with a mandate to build, rebuild the temple of the Lord. Yet we look around us and we see the impossibilities, the obstructions, the efforts poured 40 years. Promise after promise. Prophecy after promise. Yea, you shall minister to thousands. This shall be the house of the Lord where people will come and flock to find refuge and hope and love. Here we are. A bunch of us old timers who were released from Babylon. And we look. I know, I know, I know. We speak the word of faith. Oh, it's okay, it's good, it's wonderful. And the eyes of our souls 
see the finished product of the Lord, but the eyes of our flesh see something else. So we decide, we'll do this. We'll do that. You look out in the world today, in the church world today, and what do you see? You see the secularization of Christianity. And what is the emphasis of many of these evangelical, charismatic churches? And I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm just trying to bring facts. The emphasis is on programming. And many of these churches... There are restrictions on the move of the Spirit of God. I was in one church several years ago in a training situation during the week, and we were going to be invited to participate with them in their midweek service. But we were admonished by this church that was training us. Now, when you go upstairs and we're in service, uh, Spirit of the Prophet is subject to the prophet, so just we don't prophesy in the public service because we don't want to scare the outsiders. And this church was the biggest church of its kind in that city. And we were there, ministries from all over the world. There are probably 150 of us there learning how to bring life into our churches. And this course that we took there was a phenomenal course, one that we've used in our church. But when you get to church service, just restrain yourself. Don't let the Spirit overtake you. Big churches. Big ministries. Biggest ever in the history of America. What's the fruit? Where is America today? Oh, don't be concerned. While I'm speaking about these things, don't you think that God has lost control? Just like the prophet of old was complaining to God that he alone was in Israel trying to bring the word of truth and righteousness, God said, you don't know what you're talking about. I've got over 7,000 of of like-minded prophets. You just never heard about them. So understand that. This isn't a criticism of the church in general. This is just a awakening, a message, a Zechariah message. Don't let the secular overtake the spiritual. 
The church is a spiritual body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we cannot give it flesh just because we live in a flesh world. We do what God has called us to do. And we do it with the nature and the character of Jesus himself. That means with love and compassion. Zerubbabel. Don't think that we have to fall to secular means to get God's job done. And I say this to you. Listen to me. Don't think your provision comes from your employment. Hear the word of the Lord. You are blessed with provision, not because of the generosity of your employer or because of your particular talents and gifts. You're blessed with provision because that is the grace of God in abundance in your life. Don't let the secular... overtake the spiritual... Not by mine. But it was, when I read the scripture this morning, I was a little confused with it. I, I know that it's the unadulterated word of God, but I thought of the English translation and I said, it's strange that not by might, not by power, Aren't those things almost synonymous? I mean, is there a redundancy here? Is God just saying this for emphasis? So I decided, you know what, I'll do something I have never done before in this particular text. I said, let me go look up the words. And so I did. So I knew what might meant, one of the root words or uh, expressive words of yada. The power of the hand, the power of, 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 of God's love, might, the authority. The power. So I clicked on it and went to my Hebrew dictionary. And the first time I did it, I read the definition. It's, it's got to be wrong. This isn't right. So I thought, well, maybe I pressed the wrong button or maybe I highlighted the wrong word because the word that it was becoming to me and the definition of that word <laughs> didn't make sense. So I went back to the original text and pressed on the word again, this time making sure that I was highlighting the right word. Then I pressed it and voila! the same word came up. I said, it's craziness because you know what the word was? It was the Hebrew word for snake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh, what? The Hebrew word for snake. But in its etymology, that word evolved 
into a word of power in our English translation from the Greek word, ekru. And I started thinking, what, what's God saying here? He's got all kinds of words to use. Why? And then it dawned on me. Be as wise as a dove and be as cunning as a serpent. And what this word was, Zerubbabel was saying, don't use natural cunningness to think that's going to help you achieve God's purposes. It's not by your abilities. It's not by your creative thinking. The most creative that we can think is to think of the Creator. So much more that I could share with you this morning, but I know that my style of preaching is just not as electrifying as it is sometimes, I think. So I'm just going to try to finalize this word. The same prophet who spoke to Zerubbabel saying, remember it's not by might, not by prophet. He was a prophet who had the vision of the candlesticks and the olive trees. But he's also the prophet who said this. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't look at your bank book and make a determination what you can afford to give. Don't look at your physical manhood and determine what you're capable of. There is no room for cunningness in a secular sense don't let the secular overtake the spiritual and don't let the natural diminish the supernatural do you hear me when it's impossible in the natural that's not the end. It's just the portal. It's just the entrance. Because at the end of the natural, there's a portal. Beckoning come on. On the other side of the natural awaits the supernatural. Church, it's time to possess the land. And it's not by might. It's not by power. 
by my spirit, said the Lord. We need to recognize that God has been training us and preparing us these 40 years for such a time as this. On April 8th, 2020, and Joseph, we will be celebrating the 40th year to the day of the first service we ever had as a church. 40 years to the day. Amen. April 8th and 9th, 2020. And on those days, we're going to have an entourage, a ministry from all over the country, and even hopefully all over the world. Who are going to come? We are going to knock on those doors with the shepherd's rod of compassion and declare to them to open up you everlasting doors for the king of glory is about come in we'll go through that outer vestibule another set of doors will be open this time the scepter will knock on those doors and say open up for the glory the authority of the Lord our God is present in this place and we will march in and process to natural music but if your ears are tuned to heaven you'll hear the choruses of angels crying out hallelujah the time has come to possess the land during the two days that we will be celebrating we will dedicate the sanctuary every article of furnishing in this place will be anointed with oil ministries will pray not for the furnishings not for the wood not for the receptacles but the spirit the understanding like the candlesticks in the holy place were anointed the altar of praise the golden altar was anointed like the table of showbread was anointed symbolizing what God wants us to do within our community to bring light from that candlestick that is attached to those trees to bring illumination to bring fellowship and communion to participate in the bread of the showbread of the table and to come to the center to the entrance to the holy of holies and bring our incense of praise 
heard it on the altar. Waking up our praise into the presence of God in the manner that He has prescribed for us to praise Him. In the Old Testament, only one person was allowed behind the veil of prohibition, restraint. See, the other, I spoke to the students on Thursday and said, well, the first way into the courtyard was through a door. And the door was your means of access. Way into the holy place was a curtain. And it was pushed aside for the priests to come in. When you get to the veil, it was a restriction. Out of bounds. You can't come in. Only one could go. And only one time a year. The veil of restriction. But when Jesus message is no longer you can't come in. The message now is by the Spirit of the Lord and the church in Revelation. Come! Come all ye that are weak and heavy laden. And in our spiritual priesthoods, we all have been anointed the authority to access the throne. And the altar of praise is not the last that we can do in our offerings of worship. But now it becomes just the last stop in our ascension into glory. say anything? Anybody want to acknowledge? Anyone, anybody want to give a word of agreement with what has been said yet this morning? Let me hear it. Come on now. Let me hear it right now. We agree, Lord. We agree. The will of God in heaven cannot be performed on the earth unless his co-regents of the earth speak in agreement with his will. And that agreement is our amen. Can we stand, please?
tear down your veils of restraint and restriction. The temple veil was torn. Sometimes in our own personal temples, it's still there in one place, one piece. What are you looking at that you say, I can't do? I can't attain. I can't achieve. What veil is hindering you from accessing the glory of God? The Shekinah rested on the ark between the outstretched wings of the angels the Shekinah the presence of God Almighty it's time for us to allow God to tear down that veil of restraint and restriction and inhibition So that we might have that access into God's glory that Jesus has made possible for us. Don't tell God what you can't do. Just ask Him, what can I do? What do you want me? What do you want me to do? The flesh says it's impossible. It's just too hard. That's the restriction of the veil. Push it aside, tear it down. Get baptized in his presence. Seal this word, O oh Lord. If you lift up your hands in this attitude of receptivity, receiving from God, just as you would the apostolic benediction. Seal this word into our spiritual consciousness, O oh Lord. And may it throughout our lives filter into our natural consciousness. Let us remember, henceforth and forever, that we are creatures of the Spirit first, not creatures of the flesh. It's when we bring satisfaction to our souls that we find the fulfillment and purpose of our lives and the joy that you have promised us. And we covet that joy and that peace and that righteousness we covet it Lord speak to us Lord in the secret place of each and every one of our hearts provoke us with the smells of your glory so that we hunger for you 
Let the parchedness of the world just produce a thirst, an unquenchable thirst within our souls for you, O God. Renew our minds. I bless this people. With the blessing of the prophetic word. In the name of Jesus. Receive. Say, I receive it. Say it out loud with conviction. I know that today is a day that we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and I'm going to ask the presbytery, if you don't mind, that I just sit here with the congregation and participate and allow you just to do the whole. I, I, today, I just want to be one of us. I don't want to be focused on the protocols and the ministrations. I just want to be a saint this morning. I don't want to, I want to be just one who receives. While the presbytery is getting ready to prepare, Bob and Amy, I'm going to ask you to help them, okay? Because Pastor Marty is going to be on the uh, keyboard. Angela's coming and Marianne, you come and I like for Bob and Amy however Pastor Gideon decides to distribute the elements but to be able to distribute the elements with the presbytery. Would you do that please? Oh. Before you do come let this be the first day of our new commitment. We don't have to wait April 8th to possess the land. Let's take it today. We got a wonderful celebration for the community in two weeks' time. Let's be anxious to do it. And you didn't get the envelopes done. Okay. Well, these blank envelopes, I want you to use your spiritual eyes. See, these are blank. They're really not. And you see there's a turkey right here, and a big pumpkin over here, and fall leaves over there. And it says, Thanksgiving offering. We're going to go out and purchase things that we need for this celebration. And I told you last week, if we do get free turkeys, we'll distribute them. We're going to give them away. We're not going to offer unto the Lord that which costs us nothing. We'll buy our own turkeys. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to buy a turkey. Now this week, and I'm not giving an, an advertisement plug, but it's a fact. Uh, Aldi's has butterball turkeys for 89 cents a pound. <laughs> that means we can buy a turkey for $20 to $25. 
have to wait until afterwards. I saw them at Sam's yesterday, $1.68 a pound. So please be considerate of that. Okay? We are not going to ask you to do any cooking at home for the Thanksgiving celebration. I don't think we might, but I think we can get by. I mean, you just be the host and hostess, not just the eaters, not just coming to dinner. But I want all of us to be the host and hostess. And so the envelopes are here. I said to the seminarians on Thursday, I reminded them of the principle. And I want to remind the church of this principle too. Forgive me for taking longer, but I, we have to get back to the ways of God if we're going to find the path or travel on the path that God has established for us. We have to come back. And I reminded the seminarians, whenever you receive an anointing and you receive a prophetic word or you receive an inspiration or you come to the presence of the Lord, be sure that you bring an offering with you. Now it doesn't have, you know, a lot of times what we do is we wait for our tithes and we bring it up, and, that, and that's fine. That's wonderful, and, and it should be. But it's the offerings that release the prosperity. It's the offerings that you seed into your fields. So as we are preparing, the presbytery is preparing up there, and Pastor Marty is playing something appropriately, I'd like for you to come take an envelope, even if... Memorable offerings aren't always ones with a whole bunch of figures after it, numbers. The woman who gave two mites is enshrined forever in the halls of fame of eternity as giving the most impressive offering that Jesus ever witnessed. And let me tell you something, when Jesus went to the temple, he was always hanging around the offering plates. Like in the temple, they didn't come and collect. They had different places to bring your offering. And Jesus was always within looking distance. So a man gave a thousand dollars, nothing. Look. <laughs> hey guys, look over there. Look at that widow woman. Bringing her offering. My oh, Lord, oh, it's just two mites. You don't understand. You don't understand. Those two mites, because it's everything she gave sacrificially, is the most impressive offering I have ever witnessed.